Welcome to this episode of the Hospice News Elevate podcast. My name is Jim Parker, editor of Hospice News. And in this episode, we'll be talking about pediatric hospice care with Dr. Han Trin, the Butterfly Team Physician and Education Liaison at Houston Hospice. Also joining us is Monica Hampton, a devoted wife to Wallace and mother of twin girls, Natalie and Nicole, as well as her son, Jake, a Butterfly Program pediatric patient who passed away from Hunter Syndrome at the age of 17. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So Dr. Tran, I I wanted to start with you. We mentioned in the intros, uh, Houston Hospice's Butterfly Program. Uh, Could you tell us a little more about that program and, and what makes it unique? So the Butterfly Team and the Butterfly Program is made up of an amazing group of dedicated people who provide care for children from birth to 18 years old who have life limiting conditions. We have six interdisciplinary team members. Our nurses are the key people who go out to the home, the primary clinicians who then uh, see patients on a weekly basis. We have aides who are part of our uh, nurse team who come out also to help with bathing and um, with assisting in the home. The social worker can help with the psychosocial support, letters to institutions, supporting other siblings who may be also struggling and and the parents as well of the the patients. The chaplain who helps with psychosocial as well as spiritual support. Uh, The volunteers do an amazing job helping the non-medical issues that always can come into play. Bereavement counselor can help with following up with patients up to 13 months after the the loved one is lost so that in mailings, calls, uh, groups even, are able to help support the the families. And then the physician who oversees the care as a whole. The children have unique needs. It's physically, emotionally, socially very challenging in many ways. There's a a reason why not a lot of hospices have pediatric programs. And they differ because pediatric hospice can actually have concurrent care, which means children can receive curative therapies along with hospice services, which is different from how adult hospice is often. But like adult hospice, the goal of pediatric hospice is to help patients be comfortable in whatever time there is and to be able to relieve suffering both for the patients and families along the way. And those families include parents, siblings, friends, and uh, neighbors who are there. So, so that's the, the benefit of having the team is you would never have to feel like you're alone. There's a nurse 24-7 to be able to answer calls, and we can come out to the home as well to visit. Thank you. And uh, you mentioned that uh, most hospice providers don't have pediatric programs Um, If you could expound on that for the benefit of our listeners, how would you characterize the current state of pediatric hospice care in the United States? I got to tell you, pediatric hospice is underutilized and um, underfunded in many ways. That's one of the reasons why we hope to be able to get support and the awareness of as resources is available. And thanks to programs like yours, we're able to dedicate time toward getting to be more prevalent, to be more aware in the community. Some of the barriers that limit access to pediatric patients can include lack of knowledge about the benefits of this service, cultural religious beliefs about end of life. Oftentimes the desire for autonomy can be very challenging because it can prevent people from 
feeling like having another team on board can help. But the truth is, it's a lot more support. And there's a, always the difficulty in discussing or accepting hospice as a treatment option in many ways because of the misconceptions of hospice. The truth is the more team members we have like on hospice who can help, the more support you have in the long run. And the challenge also is the unpredictable nature of many of the life-limiting conditions that children may have. Because of the requirement on hospice of being a prognosis of six months or less, it makes it challenging for pediatricians and um, the primary doctors to be able to figure out whether or not patients have a life expectancy of six months or less for congenital diseases. It could be anywhere between three months to five years sometimes, right? So, so it's hard for uh, pediatricians, for doctors to be able to make that uh, statement of prognosis of six months or less. That, uh, that I imagine it must be very emotionally challenging and kind of contrary to non-hospice physicians training to to kind of uh, to make that call. Absolutely. Emotionally challenging for everybody on board, even the especially families. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to your, your loved one who the child of the family, that seems like it's um, so much harder in many ways. And we have a whole team of people who are dedicated to our population of of pediatric patients. And that's a key difference because it really does take uh, a lot of extra effort to make sure that families feel like you're reaching their needs. And because of the dynamic with having the ability to go back to the hospital and also needing to communicate with the hospital doctors and the hospital and the uh, active care teams, that's another facet of care that typically needs to be really well managed, well maintained. And and that's what pediatric hospice is about, is making sure to open up those communications and make sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, Monica, uh, thank you again for, for being here. I wondered if you could start by telling us a little bit about your family. Uh, yes. Thank you for having me here. Well, I'm not from Houston. Um, My husband wasn't either, but he came to Houston after law school for a job. And I came to Houston to go to undergraduate and then graduate school. And then I ended up staying here and working. We met in 1996 and got married two and a half years later. And then, or sorry, in 2002, we welcomed our son, Jake. And then in 2004, we welcome our twin daughters, Natalie and Nicole, and they're actually now seniors in high school. In between that time, in 19, uh, sorry, in 2003, Jake was diagnosed with MPS2. It's often referred to as Hunter's. And in 2019, he passed away from Hunter's. Um, after being on hospice for about two years. Now it's been about four years since he's passed away, and uh, we still miss Jake tremendously. Of course. I'm I'm so very sorry for your loss and uh, appreciate your willingness to to talk about it. Would you share more about Jake's diagnosis and the care he received? Yes. So Jake, as a newborn and infant, um, he hit most of his milestones. He was a strong baby, but he had multiple health problems. There was one time when I was trying to make a 
medical folder for Jake to help when we went to specialists and stuff. And I counted that in the first year of his life, he went to his pediatrician at least 24 times for illnesses or following up from illnesses. And this doesn't even count uh, milestone appointments. It doesn't count a specialist. And so even though all of his issues that he were ha- was having seemed typical for an infant, he was having too many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he was a little over a year old, we asked his pediatrician to see a geneticist. And uh, at that point, well, really, when we walked in the room, the geneticist thought that he had hunters, but they confirmed it with some medical test a few months later. And so he was about 13 months old when we got his diagnosis. It was, it was tough because when you hear from a doctor that your kid will pass away between the age of eight to 13, it, it's hard. But his condition, it's a rare medical condition. It typically is inherited and it affects the uh, person's body, both physically and mentally. They typically continue to develop for a while, at one point a little slower developing, then plateau, and then they end up uh, regressing. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that was the, the situation with Jake with his um, condition. That must have been hard it, it was It was very difficult. And, uh, you know, the internet's helpful and it's not helpful. We were able to get tons of information from the internet, but there's also scary things out there. And at uh, 13 months, we really went on a different path than we ever thought we'd be on. I see. Well, I I know this is incredibly difficult to to talk about and uh, I I do appreciate it. Um, my my nephew Joshua had a similar condition and also passed away on hospice. He was a little uh, younger than than Jake, so I I haven't had your experience, but I have seen what it you know that healthcare journey can do to families, and uh, my heart goes out to you. Could you talk about how the subject of hospice care first came up? From really, as you could tell, when I was talking about all the early appointments and starting to see specialists that uh, Jake had various medical needs that came up and we were able to handle them. And uh, we were able to manage his care through lots of different doctors. But over time, his health declined. And uh, it came to a point in 2017 that we weren't able to manage it as well as I wanted to. In particular, Jake started going through some respiratory distress and he seemed rather uncomfortable. And our typical go-to protocol procedures just weren't working. Um, So I had the unusual situation where my sister's a pediatrician. So I think for others, it might be that they would reach out to their pediatrician. And we had a beloved pediatrician who was great, but, you know, I probably was calling my sister every day anyways. And so my sister and I started talking and she as a pediatrician thought that perhaps hospice could be the right thing for Jake. 
And so she actually reached out to Houston Hospice to discuss Jake's current acute issues and then also his overall medical condition and see if Jake would be a good candidate for hospice. I see. Thank you. Returning uh, to you, Dr. Trin, when the family, when a family contacts Houston Hospice, what are the next steps? That's uh, always a good question. And, and I'm glad that it was a family member who had brought forth the, the concept of hospice for you as a loving and as a supportive care, which is wonderful. And, and the truth is anyone can contact hospice to express that interest about the hospice service after we're aware about the interest or the need we contact the doctor who needs to refer the patient to hospice and then once the doctor is able to provide a referral we're able to have an initial visit and information visit to help the family to be able to ask the questions that you need to open up the communication process so that families can better understand what the service is, what we can provide, and when they may want to have a start. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be right away. It can be in a few months. It can be in a year. But many times that's where the families are is in the thought process of it. And then at a point when families are ready, they can sign on. When they're ready to sign on hospice, our admissions team comes out to set up a visit in the place of the care and talk to the family about getting the equipment such as bedside commode, tea table, suction machines, oxygen. We can deliver that directly to the home, the medicines. We talk about whether or not those are necessary to continue. Some medicine changes need to be made to help the patient to be more comfortable. And sometimes less is better in many ways, but we, it's a conversation with the family to make sure that the needs are met, that the family understands why those changes are being made. We deliver all that directly to the home the families taught the indications of the medicines and the uses and education is a big part of it so that families can be empowered to manage the care of their loved one in the best way possible. We always have a 24 hour nurse available to call in case there are questions. And we just make sure that families never have to feel like you're alone in the journey that you have to go. Thank you. And, uh, and Monica, once you did uh, decide that hospice was appropriate for Jake, um, how did the Butterfly team care for him and for your family? So as Dr. Trin mentioned, there, there's an assessment. So hospice had a nurse and a doctor assess Jake. And after that, uh, they also got with his, um, or I'm actually not sure the timing if they got with his pediatrician first or after, but at one point there was connection with Jake's pediatrician. But then the doctor ordered equipment and medicine that they thought we should have on hand. And uh, it was amazing whether it was that first time or during uh, Jake's journey, if we needed something, it would show up within hours and all taken care of. It was not me calling the various places. And they also explained how communication would work. Uh, We had direct access to our nurse and a doctor. 
And again, like I said, medical equipment or medicine as we would need it. We were also put in contact with a minister, a social worker, a program minister that we could use as we needed or wanted. Dr. Trin mentioned that trying to make sure families felt empowered. Again, we could use those individuals as much or as little as we wanted or needed, but they were there for us. And each of them made a home visit and really let us know that they were there to support us. But then also there was a few other things that happened that just shows to me the, the breadth of everything that hospice has to offer. You know, hospice really is a network. So we wanted to go on a family trip. It might sound unusual, but Jake was still living. We had twin girls that were young and we decided, we thought about what could be possible. And we thought we really enjoyed a resort in San Antonio. It's drivable. So we actually took a trip to San Antonio and Houston Hospice helped connect us with a hospice group in San Antonio. And when we arrived, they had a hospital bed delivered to our hotel room so that Jake could be in that. They did a intake, plus they had access to stuff through Houston Hospice. And so we had another hospice group there in town if we needed them. Uh, so that was great. And then also Houston Hospice offers some respite care. So we were fortunate that Jake continued to be with us for two years. And at one point, we wanted the girls again on a spring break trip to be able to have a few days to experience what other kids their age would be able to do on a spring break. And so we took a trip without Jake and he stayed in inpatient at Houston Hospice. And it was interesting having a uh, kid um, there and also one that had some mental disabilities too. So Jake, we were afraid might decide to get out of bed and not know that, you know, he could fall or that he loved to chew on things and he could pick up something and chew on it and then choke. So having someone with him constantly was really important. And it was just amazing. Houston Hospice, in addition to the nurses, they put his room right by the nurses station, but then they had volunteers sit with him. They had other, uh, I think one time the doctor, when the, the doctor was charting, uh, just sat at his bedside stand. They had administrative people who would bring up their computers and do their work there just so that Jake had that constant care and that his family could have some respite care. But I mean, that kind of it gets to when talking about respite care, it does start to bleed into that. You know, I always thought hospice care was for that patient, but it really is for that family, however you define family. And by providing this care and this care that's easier to get, that it allows families to really share time with their loved ones and also have their lives apart from the loved one. So for instance, my twins needed to go off to school. They wanted to be on sports teams. They wanted to do things and they could do that 
um, knowing that their brother was happy at home. My husband needed to go to work and he could leave to go to work and know that his son was comfortable. In addition to also, as I think we mentioned, there's also if they would need any type of counseling services and stuff, there would be some social workers that could point them. But even just the care itself and the nature that it's at home really helps those who love for the individual that is on hospice. There is one story, hopefully I can get through it without breaking down, but it does just show those extra touches. I always wanted some hand molds of my son. Given the nature of his condition, the kids that have this condition, their hands look a little different and they're just a wonderful part of their condition. And I could never was able to achieve that. And we were getting down within two weeks before Jake passed away. And I still had not gotten these hand molds. And so I mentioned that when the doctor was doing a assessment of Jake and she reached out to um, some child life specialist at a hospital. Um, she had the social worker investigate things. And within days of Jake passing away beforehand, they found an artist who had someone from their studio drive, I think, hours and hours who came down, did his hand molds, and now I have them. I'm so glad that you brought up all of the touching moments that really do make a difference when it comes to building that legacy. I'm glad to be a part of that and help contribute to the beautiful memories that you've talked to us about. That's one of the best things about hospice, like you said, is the respite program and the psychosocial support that you don't necessarily, it's outside of the medical realm that is giving you the ability to heal and grieve along the way and afterwards that will be able to enrich your life. I'm glad that the legacy building is a big part of what we often encourage families, even though the patient's weaker and cannot do things that a patient used to be able to do, you're still with a family and we can still build beautiful memories like you just said. I'm glad to hear all of it. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, and then after Jake passed away, then Houston Hospice did reach out and they did have various bereavement services that were available to myself, my husband, um, my daughters, and um, they were available to utilize as you wanted for quite a long period of time. And of course, communication is a critical aspect um, in hospice care between the providers and the families they served. How do you feel about the way Jake's care was communicated with you and your family? I thought communication was top-notch. It was great. During visits, we could discuss our concerns and the nurses or doctor would address right then. And the nurses and doctors would also problem solve. 
especially with my son dealing with multiple things. It's not always easy, but they would problem solve, get creative. And when the nurses um, were visiting, uh, if we would discuss an issue, they would get a hold of the doctor right then. And like I just mentioned, the concerns were addressed immediately. And in between visits, we also had access to Jake's nurse. And then if the nurse uh, was not working during hours that we had issues, there was always a nurse on call. And whether it be that we would talk to the nurse over the phone or if we ever felt that Jake needed to be seen in between visits, the nurse would come out and that day, that uh, within hours, if he needed another at-home visit. And then also if we ever had um, a time that we just felt like that Jake needed an assessment because things were changing, again, we could request that and the nurse could make an additional visit. I had one or two uh, trips that I needed to go on. And before I would leave on those trips, the uh, nurse would come and do uh, assessment, uh, mainly because I wanted the comfort to know that except things that we can't always predict, could I leave town for three days? And um, the nurses would let me know. And um, so communication was great. I wish all medical communication was as great as it was with Houston Hospice. And uh, turning to you, uh, Dr. Trin, could you tell us a little bit about some of the best practices that uh, the Butterfly team implements to ensure that needs are met for pediatric parents and their families? Excuse me, pediatric patients. Yes, sir. Uh, Monica, you brought up wonderful facts about what we do, which is if we can't find, if you reach a nurse and the nurse can't find a doctor, they're going to find another doctor to make sure that the the needs are met. Because really, it's about getting the coverage that you need. And I don't know that you can get that in any active therapies other than hospice, where there's always going to be a nurse there to help. There's always going to be a doctor at the end of the line of that phone call who can adjust medicines and take them right to the home in the middle of the night to address your needs and concerns. So that's the the key is to make sure to uh, help patients and families at the point of need, at the point of care. And that's what hospice does well. Uh, Monica, I wanted to ask you if anything surprised you about the Butterfly program or the Butterfly team. Yes, I guess I had a incomplete view of what what hospice was prior to going into it. I thought it was a nurse and a doctor and maybe some medicine towards the very end of life. But I realized that it was much more than that. It was an entire network of people in services supporting both the patient, Jake, and my family. And that we might have a story that is a little different than some people that we had this diagnosis at 13 months, but I was just dreading this time from the time that Jake was 13 months old. 
And I will say what surprised me the most was this dread that I had actually became a really treasured, beautiful time with my son and our entire family. I'm so glad to hear that. It was a comforting experience. That's wonderful. And, uh, of course, you know, caring for a seriously ill family member or, or a person with a disability is, is extremely difficult. Can you talk about your family's experience as caregivers? It's my only experience that I really know. So I'm not sure, you know, I don't know any different. And, you know, really every parent is a caregiver for someone with um, needs. Um, they're just every child's needs are unique. We just had a lot of unique needs <laughs> that we needed to address. But it was definitely a significant part of our life stories. But, you know, we relied on a lot of help. And I guess that old statement, it takes a village. I mean, it really is true. Um, there were so many people involved in Jake's journey, even before Houston Hospice. I mean, teachers, aides, school nurses, therapists, um, the infusion center that Jake had to go for weekly infusions, um, doctors, friends, church members, caregivers. I mean, really, our experience as caregivers was that we had to have a huge team to make this work. And uh, I understand that, that your twin daughters, uh, Natalie and Nicole, they, they created a special way to express their, their love for Jake and, of course, process their grief. Uh, would you share their journey with us? Well, hopefully I'll do it justice. I'll try to, they're at school right now, so obviously they can't answer your question. I'll answer it. Well, Jake passed away in 2019, and that was uh, before COVID hit. And my family was, and they were getting used to this new reality. But then COVID did hit, and they noticed that a lot of people were feeling isolated and disconnected. But it, what was interesting is that that was a common feeling that they had actually growing up with a brother with disabilities and brother who passed away. And so they started to think of ways to connect people and especially siblings like themselves of people who had disabilities. Um, and so they created a nonprofit, Special Siblings Connect, and their main project was to write a book. Uh, ended up being called By Siblings for Siblings. But though they knew they wanted to write a book, they weren't really sure how the format was going to be. So they started out by just reaching out to individuals that they knew or organizations um, and just ask for quotes about experiences or feelings from siblings of people with disabilities. And after they collected those quotes, then they looked for some themes and they realized that some common themes arose. Some of these themes bleed into other ones, but they came up with themes of isolated, feeling different, feeling embarrassed, and then sorrow, which hits a lot with their grieving, and then feeling grateful, actually. 
so their their hope was to through this book to help other siblings of people with disabilities. I do think it also helped themselves with their own grieving process as they saw more that they weren't alone, that there were there's many other people that had feelings similar to them and also allowed them to reflect on their own experience with Jake. But what was kind of surprising to them is that we've also gotten feedback back that the book has been helpful to individuals who have a daughter, a son, a cousin, a friend of someone whose sibling has disabilities. So it kind of is a new awareness that um, some may have relative to siblings of people with disabilities. That's a, a beautiful way to honor Jake and to offer help and comfort to others having a similar experience. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Dr. Trin, returning to you as a provider and as a physician, what are your takeaways from the Hampton family's story about their hospice experience? I am so glad to hear that hospice was able to provide you with emotional support, Monica, with psychosocial support, with making sure that you felt like Jake was comforted in his time. And I'm so glad that this is being shared with others so that we can make sure to uh, have this service be available to those in need similar. One of the big things about hospice is the awareness that it's there. I wanted just to thank you for sharing all of this emotional challenges that you went through. It can't be easy for any mother to talk about it, to go through it, but I'm glad that we were part of helping to bring you some grief and comfort during that grieving process. So my takeaway on this is I hope that Others are able to reach out for help in similar ways where we are available. The service is there where the needs are, wherever the patient is. And we have so much support that can be provided. We do need support as well, though, as a big part of it is we have our 22nd Butterfly Luncheon coming up on March 24th from 11 to 1 if you'd like to join us at the Junior League of Houston at uh, 1811 Briar Oaks Lane, Houston, Texas, uh, 77027. It's more information about it could be houstonhospice.org. Call 713-H-O-S-P-I-C-E. And um, we can hear more where Monica will be able to share her story as well as all of the happiness and the, the memories from your experiences. Thank you. And I know we're approaching the end of our scheduled time. Uh, would each of you have time for one more question a piece? Yes, sure. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so, Monica, I, I wanted to ask you that based on your experience, what are some thoughts and ideas that families need to know uh, when considering hospice care? I would probably say mention four things. The first I would say is don't be afraid to start the discussion whether it's with directly with a hospice group, whether it's with your doctor, whether it's with a friend, um, knowledge is power. 
you don't have to go have your family member go on hospice right then, but, but get the knowledge. The second is if you do choose to put your child on hospice, it is not giving up. It is actually taking a, just a different path. Hospice is top-notch medical care for both the patient and the family. We got more smiles and good days from Jake when he was on hospice than right before he was on hospice. The third thing was that I have seen some people afraid to put loved ones on hospice because they know someone who died within days of being on hospice. And every medical situation is different. Tragedy does happen, but I personally believe that sometimes it's because people choose to just go on hospice later in their journey. And because of that, they can't really experience the entire hospice experience, um, which can be very fulfilling and enriching to help with that last bit of time. And then fourth, um, my last thing I'd probably say is when your loved ones on hospice, um, it's, it's not about stopping living. As I mentioned, medical care got easier for Jake. We weren't running around to various specialists and therapists, and we actually got back some energy from Jake. We got back some family time because Jake was being cared for in the house, and he could be cared for quickly, comfortably. And so we actually got to spend more time together as a family. And then we also were able to spend some time not together as a family. And we got, we gave ourselves permission to do some things uh, without Jake. And we don't have any regrets one way or another about not spending enough time or spending too much time. It was, uh, so just really live. So I guess, um, sorry, I rambled, but I guess to summarize, I would probably say if you're considering hospice, educate yourself because it could be a path that if it turned out like it did for us, it allowed both Jake, my son, and my family to turn a really sad reality into a treasured experience. Monica, every single point that you made is right on point. Those are all key concerns that I hope will help encourage patients and families to reach out for the potential for hospice to benefit their needs. And the truth is, if you wanted to know a little bit more, since there are so many hospices in Houston, to be quite frank, you I would encourage families to go visit if there is an inpatient facility or a, uh, a place where you can maybe get a gut feeling for the people who would be taking care of your loved ones to be able to see just whether or not that's the right people, right group, the right place that would work for your loved ones to be cared for in the way that you want them to be cared for. So that that would be what I would hope that families would try. Thank you. And Monica, um, just on a note, I would not describe your responses rambling. I thought you were very thoughtful and articulate. Well, thank you. So, uh, Dr. Trin, uh, just one final question, and it's actually the, the same question from your perspective as a provider. What else can you add about what the families of pediatric uh, patients need to know when considering hospice? 
I think most likely it's that you can keep your doctor and continue to work with a whole team of people who can make sure that your needs are met, make sure to cover all your bases. You never have to feel like you're alone in this. That like Monica said, we're Johnny on the spot. We'd be able to respond to questions and concerns and medicine needs. There's the social worker, the chaplain who can definitely address the non-medical that we wouldn't necessarily have in, in when you're not on hospice. So definitely these are all part of the care for both the patients and the families. And the families, how you are able to get through this is with a whole team of people. And I hope that with the hospice team, it would take some of the burden off your shoulders and you could have some support before, during and after. Thank you. And, and thank you. Uh, regrettably, we are at the end of our time, but uh, I, I really appreciate this discussion and I'm sure that our our listeners will too. Thank you both again so much for, for being here. And uh, of course, I'd like to thank our audience uh, for tuning in as well. And uh, I hope uh, you all take care. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jim. Thank you.